I want to share a, a short message before we go into our communion service today. And I want to invite you to please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew. So I want to ask you to open to Matthew chapter 18. And this is directly related to our preparation for today's service. Matthew chapter 18. And I want to invite you to start with me in verse 23. Matthew chapter 18 starting in verse 23. And here is what the Bible says. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed 10,000 talents. Now, I want to pause here. In the Bible, the word servant may not convey the proper understanding of this passage. Um, it could probably be better translated steward. And the implication is that this particular man had some control over the king's finances. At some point, he mismanaged it and got heavily into debt. Now, I want you to know that when you think of 10,000, that doesn't seem like a lot, right? By the way, if you live in Zimbabwe, um, it's nothing. Did you know that the average person could go to Zimbabwe, convert his money, and become a billionaire overnight? That's just because they have hyperinflation, okay? But 10,000 talents. Now, I want to put a little disclaimer here. Every commentary has a little bit of a different expression. But one statistic that I read is that this is the equivalent of 10 lifetimes of total wages for a person. So I did a little bit of math. If you start working when you're 20 years old and you stop working when you're 65 and you make about $75,000 a year, which in this area is not a lot, but I just picked a number that I felt was reasonable, then you would make around $3,500,000 in one lifetime. So 10 lifetimes would be about 33.5 million. Does that make sense? Now, that is a staggering amount of money, okay? That is a staggering amount of money to lose. I want you to notice what the Bible says happened. Verse 25. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. 
Now, I think that most of you know that this parable is an illustration of the plan of salvation. And what do I mean by that? You see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? It's death. And so, in a sense, every person that has sinned on planet Earth owes a debt. And that debt requires your death. I think that you also understand that the debt is more than we could ever pay. We could not hope to ever do enough good to make up for this debt. By the way, did you notice what the man said? In verse 26, he said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Now, I want to just point something out here because many people, many people, they think that although they have sinned, if they come to church, in some way, this earns us some kind of merit. You know what I'm saying? In other words, I know that I've sinned, but I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to be faithful in coming to church. Now, I don't want you to think that going to church is wrong. That's not what I'm trying to point out. But this man had the mentality, even though the debt was more than he could ever pay, he had the thought, I'll be able to pay it. And many Christians still have this false concept. If you're sitting here today and you think just because you came to church, God is somehow rewarding you or he is somehow canceling the debt because you came to church, folks, I want you to know salvation doesn't work like that. If you returned a tithe, and I'm not saying it's wrong, that's a good thing to do, but if you return a tithe, that in no way cancels out the debt of sin and its wages that we have incurred. Does that make sense? If you feed the homeless, if you help the poor, if you do all of these good things, not one of those things makes a dent in the debt that we owe God. And so now the Bible tells us that when this man did this, look at verse 26, uh, sorry, verse 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with what? Compassion. And loosed him and forgave him the debt. Now, I want you to know that this is salvation. We sinned and we deserved death, but God gave us now, I want you to think about this for a moment. God didn't just forgive us the debt, but he gave us a probationary time to live out our life and to choose eternal life. What a privilege that we've all been given. Now, in verse 28, the Bible says, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him how much? A hundred pence. Now, some of your Bibles will say 100 denarii, and it doesn't matter. It's the same unit. So let me tell you what I know. In Bible times, 
the amount that the regular working man made in one day was one denarii or one pence. So I want you to think, if a working man did not eat or drink or pay any bills, if he was to work every day and save that money, how many months would it take to pay this off? Yeah, three and a half months. Does that make sense? So basically, this is about four months of wages. Does that make sense? Now, here is what I learned. The 10,000 talents versus the 100 denarii, the difference is this debt was one six hundred thousandths of the amount. Are you with me? The amount that this fellow servant owed was only one six hundredth of the amount that this man owed the king. Now, what did he do? It says in verse 28 that he laid hands on him. So this is showing some element of violence, right? He laid hands on him and took him by the what? By the throat. That is rather cruel, isn't it? Saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Verse 30 says, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, I'm going to stop here because there's so much in this story that we could talk about. But I want to pause here for a moment and talk to you about people who have wronged you in your life. Over the course of my years in ministry, I have come across so many stories that are heartbreaking. Did you know? Okay, so in one church that I pastored, this, was a, this happened not that long ago, maybe only six or seven years ago. No, less, like five years ago. A father drove home. This was a member of my church. He drove home, and it was dark. And they had a little baby boy, toddler. There was a safety latch on the cradle, but for some reason, it was left open. And then there was a screen door. It was summertime that was left open. The baby crawled out of the house, out of the cradle, out of the house. And when the father came home, he ran over the baby. You cannot understand what that did to that family. You cannot understand it, it wrecked their lives. And I want you to know that there was some forgiveness that had to take place. And, you know, I'm not belittling how you've been treated because I'm sure that in this room, or watching, there have, may have been people that were abused as children. There may be people here that have been violated. There may be people here that have been defrauded. You know, every, every form of mistreatment is possible. 
But here's my question for you today. As you think about what these people have done to you, have you considered what God has forgiven you from? You know, our crime against God requires death. Does that make sense? And yet, you know, if someone gossips against us, if someone says rude things, I just talked with someone yesterday that said, you know, this person did so-and-so, so I unfriended him on Facebook. And, you know, in today's society, that's like kind of a big deal. Like you unfriend someone on Facebook and now like they're out of your life forever. You know, you just cut them off. And I'm not saying that it's, it's a sin to unfriend. I'm not saying that. You know, maybe some, some people post so many things, it's maybe better to unfriend them, you know. But my point is, folks, when we compare what God has forgiven us to the slights that people have done to us, this is the foundation of why we need to forgive people no matter what they've done. Do you understand? You know, Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And some people misunderstand what that means. That does not mean that because you forgive, God forgives you. It doesn't work like that. God will forgive those. By the way, I got to point this out. What happened to the man that was unwilling to forgive? Now, notice what it says. Verse 32, then the Lord, after that, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest, thou not, shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Was his forgiveness revoked? It was. And I just want you to understand this. We do not earn forgiveness because we forgive someone. But God will forgive us as our heart is willing to show compassion. And really, it's that willingness to be compassionate that God says, this is the right spirit under which I can give you forgiveness. You know, friends, every one of us here may struggle with something that someone has done. I'm going to tell a short story, and then we're going to move into our communion service. The year is 1947, and it's the country of Germany. There is a huge church where refugees are gathered together to hear a talk given by a Dutch woman by the name of Corrie ten Boom. As she gave a lecture on how the only way to be healed is to forgive those that have wronged you. Because some of the people that came out of these concentration camps, many of them were permanently traumatized because of the things that they had seen and endured. As she finished her presentation, and the crowd began to slowly shuffle away. She saw a man in an overcoat with a brown hat clutched in his hands. 
And unlike the rest of the crowd which was walking away from her, this man was slowly making his way towards her. As she looked at his face, for a brief moment, she saw a different person because she recognized him as one of the guards at the concentration camp that her and her sister were in called Ravensbrück. And now as she saw him come forward, she saw instead of the brown overcoat hunched over at the hat, she saw a blue uniform with a visor with a Nazi symbol upon its hat. And then all of a sudden, all the memories, naked women being paraded in front of guards that leered and, and jeered and mocked them, showers, and all of these, these inhumane punishments that they were subjected to. Her sister, Bessie, died in that camp. But now this man came forward, and this is what he said. He put his hand out to her, and he said, A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. As she stood frozen in front of this man, she could not for all her strength, lift up her hand to take his. And then, she and then he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He said, I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, will you forgive me? And for the second time, he put his hand out. Now, here she was. She had just given a talk on how God forgives, how we need to forgive if we want to be healed. Did you know that studies showed that those victims of the concentration camps, if they could not forgive, many of them never overcame their mental trauma. They stayed like comatose, almost like vegetables, just, you know, isolating themselves from society and just, you know, traumatized by this permanent um, debilitating hatred and anger. And so there she was, struggling to actually materialize the strength to put out her hand. And even in her message, she actually said that if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. So what did she do? She prayed. She said, Jesus, please help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But please, you supply the feeling." And in her own words, this is what she said. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one that was outstretched. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down to my arms, and it sprang into our joined hands. And then this warm feeling flooded my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. 
And she said, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you with all my heart. As we enter in upon the communion service today, it's important to understand what Jesus did for us. As we partake of the bread, as we partake of the wine, this is a reminder of the debt that he paid for us. But friends, I want you to know that as God forgives you, he's asking that you forgive others. Maybe they're not in this state. Maybe they're in another country. Maybe it's someone in this church. But as we go through this service today, pray that God will give you true forgiveness. Maybe it would mean that you'll call someone afterwards. I don't know. But I want to challenge you today to ask God to give you the spirit of love and forgiveness for those around you.